are continuing on with our series this morning that we've been in. Um, the series is The Holy Spirit, The Road to Pentecost. And we're spending from Easter to, uh, to Pentecost talking about the Holy Spirit and looking at the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to be looking at signs, wonders, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and I want to start off with a, a, a story that many of you are familiar with. Uh, many of you are familiar with uh, one time when, when uh, the apostles Peter and, and John were they're going into the temple, the, uh, the getting ready to pray, and as they walk into the temple, they came across this man that was calling out to them. This guy's about 40 years old, and he'd been there. He's a regular fixture there. He was there every, you know, every day you know, just begging you know, at the temple because that's, you know, he, he couldn't walk. He was crippled, and, when, and he was lame. And uh, when, you are, you know, when you can't walk in, in his culture, he couldn't do anything to work. He couldn't sit at a computer or anything then. He, could, he had one option available to him, and that was to beg for money. So he was there asking for money, and you know, Peter you know, hears him and goes over over to him and, you know, checks his pockets and says, um, you know, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't have any money. I don't have any money to give you, but I do have something else. And then he reached out and grabbed him by the hand and he said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And he pulled him up and his, the surge of, 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 of energy just, just ran through and power just ran through his legs, into his ankles, into his feet. He leapt to his feet and he started walking, he started jumping, he started like just, just acting so excited and praising God because this man was able to walk for the first time of his life and he was about 40 years old. Can you imagine at 40 years old, I won't ask how many have gotten to that point in their life yet, um, some of us have gotten there and halfway passed again. But, you know, I mean, I can imagine for the first time in his life the, what it must have felt like to be able to, you know, just get on your feet and walk. Um, and, you know, when that happened, you would think that everybody around would be cheering. It's, oh my gosh, look what happened to him. Look what Jesus did. Look, this is a guy that was begging by the gate, and, and now he's running around praising God, and, and, you know, and, and people were thrilled, and, and, you, and you would expect that response. But it wasn't the response of everybody, was it? Those of you that know the story know that the religious rulers were bothered by that. They didn't like that at all. So, you know, what they, you know, they, they uh, uh, heard about it and they, they, they weren't thrilled about it. They were upset about it. And, and anyway, they went and they sent and had Peter and John arrested. And they had them thrown in jail and they couldn't figure out what to do with them and, and that. So, you know, they all... Uh, uh, they, they, and, and, you know, finally they pulled him out and, 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 you know, asked for an explanation. And he said, hey, look, you know, Peter said, if, if you're wanting to know how we did this, it's only been done through the name of Jesus Christ, you know. And they started telling him all about how Jesus had done this. He was the one that did the miracle. He was the one that did this healing, you know. And they didn't like that, so they, just, they, they threatened him. They wanted to silence this thing, so they threatened them. And they, they said, you know, you better never, you know, teach in that name or preach in that name or tell others about that name ever or else, you know, you know if, if you know what's good for you kind of a thing. And they, they severely threatened them because they weren't happy about this at all. They, they said, you know, never to speak or teach of Jesus again. And well, Peter and John went back to their friends then. 
and they told him what happened. The friends had known they'd been thrown in jail, but they went back to them, and what happened? How'd you get out? Well, man, they, you know, they threatened us. They, 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 they really warned us, and they said, you know, we're really in trouble if we ever, you know, teach about Jesus again. So they all decided to pray. Interesting thing, though, is how they prayed and what they prayed. See, they didn't pray like I would feel led to pray. They didn't pray like many of us would feel led to pray. You know, Lord, keep us safe. Protect us from them, Lord. Don't let them, don't let them hurt us. They didn't pray that. Instead, they asked for boldness. And this is what they prayed as they cried out to God. They prayed, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, it says, the place they were, they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In other words, Peter and John, after being released from prison, threatened with, with beatings, threatened with their lives, you know, threat, severely threatened, they come back to the other disciples and they pray and they say, more, Lord. Do more of the same. Send your power. We want to see more signs and wonders. Just like you healed the lame man, we want to see you do that more. You see, they had walked for Jesus with three, for three years. They had walked with him. They had come to expect miracles because they saw Jesus do them. And then Jesus sent the 12 apostles out at one time and said, okay, you guys go do the same stuff. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to heal those that are sick. I want you to cast out demons. And they did it. And then a short while later, there were 70 disciples, and he sent them out. And he said, now you guys do this. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. You know, tell people about me. Preach the, preach the gospel. Say the rule and the reign of God has arrived. They, he sent them out. This had become the norm for them. See, Jesus' ministry was marked with signs and wonders from beginning to end. Whether he was healing people or raising the dead or transcending the laws of nature or, you know, the signs and wonders were a big part of Jesus declaring the arrival of the kingdom of God. And one of those times was when... Um, a bunch of people had followed Jesus out in this remote area, and, and you know, uh, everybody was kind of getting hungry. You know how we do that? <clears throat> you know, middle of service, and we're starting to get hungry. We're starting to think about food, and, and our mind starts wandering to, you know, what's in the oven or where we're going afterwards, and we think about those roasts, or we think about those enchiladas, or we think about those tacos, or we think about those pizzas, or we think about that chicken enchilada chili, or we think about all of this stuff. Now, um, nobody leave just yet. You know, maybe the ribs or what we're going to put on the grill. Okay, well, so they're thinking about that, right? And, and you know, they're, they're getting hungry, but they had one problem. There weren't any drive throughs nearby. There weren't any, you know, um, uh, diners they could go to or anything. <laughs> they had a kid maybe with a lunch. Like they, they had like five loaves of bread and a few small fish. And um, that's all they had. And Jesus said, well, feed them. What do you mean feed them? This isn't going to go very far. 
this is enough for maybe a couple of us, but, but, but that's it. Um, and uh, anyway, Jesus had them take a seat on the grass, had them begin to pass out food, and by the time it was all said and done, Jesus fed, or the, and the disciples fed, 5,000 men plus women and children and had 12 baskets left over. Now, they didn't have 12 baskets to start with. They didn't even have enough to, to put, you know, one thing, item of food in each basket, but they had 12 baskets left over. And then a little bit later, you know, there was a similar story. Jesus is out with a bunch of people. They're all hungry. This time there was about 4,000. Same story. Few loaves of bread, few fish, not enough to feed everybody. Jesus blesses it, says, now feed everybody. They fed everybody, and that time had, what, seven baskets left over. Pretty amazing. Um, all through the Bible, all the, all the way through it, you read it. You see that God is a God of signs and wonders. From Genesis through Revelation, the Bible is filled with miracles. Look at what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 32. It says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You performed signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day. In Israel and among all mankind, you've gained the renown that is still yours. You see, here's a thing that we don't always see when we look at Scripture, you know, looking back into the Scripture. Since early in Israel's history, there was a difference between the nation of Israel and all of the nations around them. You see, Israel worshipped a God that was different than all the others. It was a God that they could not see. He was invisible. And the nations around them all worshipped idols made out of wood or made out of stone or precious metal like gold. So, you know, at, at, at times the Israelites were even accused of being atheists because they worshipped a God they couldn't see. And if you can't see your God or at least a representation of them, then people said, well, you really don't have a God. And I would just kind of put to you today that it's very similar circumstances today. Because how many times have, have we heard people make disparaging comments and talking about, oh, that invisible man in the sky, right? Heard that? Read that? You know, I mean, uh, all the time. You know, we, we, we've all run into that. But just because you can't see God does not mean that he's there. And throughout the Bible, even though God can't be seen... He reveals His presence time and again through powerful signs and wonders. See, the story of, think about the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt. It's not just about God sending plague after plague to pound on the Egyptians, to pound on Pharaoh until Pharaoh agreed to let the Israelites go. It goes so much deeper than that. It, because the fact is, through the plagues, through the ten plagues that God sent to, uh, to the Egyptians, God was showing his power over the many false gods worshipped in Egypt. Each of those plagues was aimed at one of the false gods of Egypt, and that's what they were all about. God was showing his power, and the visible gods of Egypt were no match for the one true invisible God. For instance, one of the gods they served was, was Ra, the sun god. 
Well, how did God show his power over Ra, the sun god? Well, how about blackness coming so thick you couldn't see your hand in front of your face even in the middle of the day? See, each of those plagues was a judgment on one of the gods of Egypt. And God was showing himself more powerful than any of them. And whether we're talking about the exodus of Israel uh, from Egypt or Jesus healing a leper or Peter taking a lame man by the hand and healing him, God uses signs and wonders to make people aware of the fact that he is a real God and he is very present and active in the world that we live in. Signs and wonders play an important role in the kingdom of God. Look at Mark 16, starting in verse 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This is just before he goes back to heaven. It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll drive out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. They will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. And after the Lord Jesus had spoke to them, he was taken up to heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Confirmed his word. By, by the way, the little bit about snakes, don't worry, we're not bringing a box of snakes out here. That's not what that's talking about. And if I found out I was ever sitting in one of those churches, um, I don't know where the door would be. I would make a new door and exit uh, the closest spot to me. Um, I do not like snakes. What that's talking about, I've got a perfect example of what it's talking about. And that was, you know, remember when Paul was shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and he's there, and they're, you know, they, they, they just, just get off, and they're standing by the fire trying to, you know, stay warm and dry off, and, and he's throwing some sticks in the fire. And in the sticks, there was a, there was a snake that uh, latched onto his arm. And he shook it off into the fire. And it was a venomous snake. And all the people on the island were watching him. Oh my gosh, this must be some really bad guy because judgment hasn't escaped him. He's going to die now from that snake. You know, God's getting him, you know, kind of a thing. And after a little while, you know, this is just how people are. After a little while, they watched him. He didn't get sick. He didn't die. He didn't do anything. You know, he just, he's just normal. But, oh my gosh, he must be a god. You know, the snake tried to get him, and it couldn't get him. He must be a god, you know. It's, it, it, that's how people are sometimes kind of fickle like that. But anyway, th that's kind of what it's talking about. Not that we're supposed to go and pick up a rattlesnake or something like that. Um, so anyway, there's three things that signs and wonders do. Three things that miracles do we're going to talk about. First of all, they confirm the gospel. They serve to confirm the gospel. Passage we just read in, in, uh, in Mark said that the Lord confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. You see, when God does a sign and wonder, he's confirming the truth of what was just said. We're here to, to first you know, uh, uh, proclaim the message of the gospel, proclaim the truth of the gospel, and then demonstrate the power of the gospel. When Jesus began his ministry, that's what he did. He announced the, the arrival of the kingdom of God, and then he backed it up by performing signs and wonders to show that God's rule and reign really had arrived. And he confirmed the proclamation of the gospel with the demonstrations of the gospel. 
Then as you read through, you know, uh, of the early church, we see the same thing happening. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it, you know, beyond the book of Acts in history. You know, I've got a syllabus in my office. It's this thick. It's a, it, it's a I don't know, two or three inch binder that's um, much of it is full of just story after story after story of, of church history up through, I'm going to say it probably goes up through the 60s or 70s because I got it like in 87. So had to stop at some point by then. But, but, um, and, and it's full of, of miracles, full of signs and wonders that the church has done. All right, and it's 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 um, it, God has never stopped demonstrating His power. So He 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 uh, you know you see the same thing happening, you know um, in in uh, 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 the early church. You see it happening in history. Now we don't always see it in this country because we've just stopped expecting it. You see, God has never stopped performing signs and wonders, but we've just stopped expecting them and asking for them, right? When's the last time you asked God for a miracle and really expected it to happen? So he confirms the gospel with signs and wonders. Also, miracles have a, have a, a way of drawing people to believe in Jesus. When God confirms his promises, confirms the good news of the gospel as true through a miracle, it shows the goodness of God. And the Bible says that it is the goodness of God or kindness of God that leads us to repentance. When miracles happen, people are drawn to faith in Jesus. It just has a way of cutting through, you know, the arguments and the opposition and the hesitancy and the doubt and the uncertainty and brings people to a point of faith. So they, you know, it, it, it draws people to believe in Jesus. And third thing that miracles do, third role they have is that they have a way of revealing the heart. They can reveal the heart. You know, sad thing is, some people simply, no matter what they see, no matter what they hear, simply refuse to believe. Even after witnessing a miracle, they just refuse to believe. Maybe it's because they don't want to change their life. A lot of people just simply don't want to change. Maybe they just don't want to believe. It's hard to imagine someone responding to a loving God simply by, you know, by simply refusing his love. But the fact is, some people still do. And when some refuses to believe after witnessing a miracle, condition of their heart is revealed. Signs and wonders are signposts pointing to the inbreaking of God's rule and reign. And God wants to use us his church, to point to the presence of the king and his kingdom in our day. But how? Good question. Listen to Paul. Romans 15, he says, So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by thy, the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit in this way. I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. 
He's saying that any miracle that he ever did says it was done by the Spirit of God. And that's the same Spirit that lives in every single believer. It's the same Spirit that lives in you and lives in me. And none of us, not one of us has the power ourselves to perform a miracle. We can't just go up at will and make someone well or, or you know, perform some kind of miracle, not on our own power. But the same Spirit that empowered the Apostle Paul to do the signs and wonders that he did and that brought people to God lives in you and lives in me. And that means that as God directs us, as God speaks to us, we can do those same things. There's a verse that's always, it's like, I have a hard time with. And it's when Jesus is saying that these things his followers would do, that he not only do these things, but even greater works. Even greater works. How is that possible? It's because it's the same spirit that empowered Christ that lives in us and empowers us. Another question is this. If God used Paul to perform signs and wonders, how did he get to that place? You see, how did, how did Paul get to the place where God could use him in this way? Did he wake, just wake up one day and say, hey, well, I'm the great apostle Paul. I guess I'm going to go out, dazzle the people, and do some miracles. Yep, I think I'll do maybe two or three before lunch, and oh, I'll really ramp it up after I have something to eat, and you know, I do about five or six more, and that's for today, and then tomorrow we'll do this. doesn't work that way. See, Paul had been a persecutor of the church, and then he met Christ. And when you meet Christ, everything changes. And, you know, he spent time getting to know Jesus and building relationship with him. And as he did that, he began telling others about Jesus. He began preaching him, began preaching him to anybody that would listen, including Gentiles or those that were outside the Jewish faith, and, you know, telling anybody who would listen about Jesus. And then one day the time came and God whispered in his ear and God called him to confirm what he preached through the power of the Spirit. He proclaimed the gospel, then it was go time, where the rubber meets the road, where he was, you know, and the question was, was he willing to take a risk at that moment and trust God? Did he have the faith? See, John Wimber used to say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K, and it really is. See, every time anyone, whether it be Paul or Peter, any of the other disciples or any of the prophets, Anytime that anyone um, um, uh, performed a miracle or healing in the Bible, it's because someone took a risk. Someone took a risk and decided to believe God at His Word. And it's the same way with you and me. When God does a miracle, He usually does it through people willing to take a risk of faith. In Acts 20, a young man on a, sitting on a windowsill fell asleep listening to Paul preaching. Fell from the third floor window, dropped to the ground and died. 
You know, Paul could have just said, oh man, how tragic. This is so tragic. From now on, nobody's allowed to sit in the window ledge during a service. Or even better yet, we want to be really safe. We're all just going to meet on the ground floor from now on out. No more services in the third. I don't know any churches that have services in a third floor anymore. I wonder if that's why. Anyway, he, he could have said that. He could have said that. But instead, he took a risk, and he went down to the young man. He threw himself in the young man, and he prayed. Came back to life. Came back to life. I don't know if they continued the sermon or if that was a sermon stopper, though, but came back to life. Peter and John met the lame man, you know, begging for money in the way to the temple. They could have just said, sorry, pockets are empty, I don't have any money. Be blessed, be well. But instead, Peter looked at the, at the man, and when he did, something told him. Spirit of God spoke to him that God wanted to do something for this man, so he took a risk when he reached out and grabbed the man by the hand, pulling him up, saying, I don't have any money, but I do have something else for you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, for the first time in your life in 40 years, I tell you to get up and walk. That's risky. Because what would happen if he just pulled him up and he crumpled back down to his feet? It's great to hear the story and to read the story about, about Peter doing it, right? But put yourself in his shoes. How many of us would have been able to do that? He took a risk. See, a lot of people, most of us, I would say probably all of us, if God asked us, you know, that, that, that if God came to us and said, I'd like you to do a miracle. I want to use you in this person's life. I want to use you in this situation. I want to use you to do this, and I'm going to do a miracle through you. Is that okay with you? Most of us would say, oh, yeah, sure, do it. I'd love to do that. But how many of us are willing to take the risk? Because that's a big part of it. Not everyone's willing to take a risk for it to happen. I want to get to that place. I want to get to that place. And I want to encourage you. I want to put a hunger in you that you know that God can use you that you will get to the place where you're willing to take that risk like we see so often in the early church. See, the early church, a lot of people say, oh man, we got to get back to the way the church was in the book of Acts. Got to get back to the New Testament church and all that. And that's good. That's, that, that's great. But we've got to realize the early church definitely had its share of problems and issues to work with. I mean, um, or, and, and to work through, just read through the book of, you know, the, the letters to, to Corinth or the letters to Galatia or Jude or really just about any of them, I think, and, and read through and look at some of the issues they dealt with, some of the problems they, they, they dealt with. But they also had a lot of God stuff going on. I want to look at this description of the early church in Acts chapter 2. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the early church. It was a church that had faith and wasn't afraid to take a risk. It's a church that believed God. And it showed up in the power of the Holy Spirit. It showed up in the, in the care that they showed for one another. They took care of each other. It showed up in their day-to-day -day relationships in the community of faith. See, life is full of risk. It's, it's what puts some excitement in life. And risk plays an important role in our life as a disciple. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 1, he says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words. We didn't just speak it. We didn't just tell you. It came to you, it came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You know. You saw us. You watched us close up, firsthand. You know our lives. You know how we lived among you. See, the church today needs more than just words. For the church to, work, to reach our world today, we need three things. Because people are longing to see a church with three things. First, we need to be proclaiming good news. The world needs to hear us proclaim good news. Good news is news that inspires hope. Good news is not just how great the struggle is, because we all know that, we experience that. We know how great the struggle is. But it faces that struggle and proclaims how great God is and how great the victory is. That's the good news. Good news is focused on the promises and the goodness of God. Good news is hearing that God is for you, not against you, and that He knows you and that He loves you. So we need the church to be proclaiming good news. Second, the church needs power. That's what we've been talking about this morning, power. Every one of us would love to see the church move in power, right? It's only going to happen when we're willing to risk and pray for God to heal and pray for God to restore and pray for God to move and expect God to show up. So people want a church that proclaims good news and that moves in power, and third, a church whose members hold deep convictions. Deep convictions. Conviction that God's word is true. Conviction that God means what he says. Conviction that, that the gospel is worth giving your life to it and giving your life for it. We are so blessed in this country. But the blessing is also somewhat of a curse. All around the world, people are giving their lives for their faith. Their lives are being required of them because of their faith. All around the world. We're blessed in that we don't face that same thing here. flip side of that is 
around the world, you see believer after believer after believer after believer. with deeply held convictions that say, Jesus is my Lord. He is my King. And I will live for Him and if need be, die for Him. It's not so in this country. Not that nobody has those convictions. It certainly isn't tested. See, we need convictions that God's word is true. Conviction that impacts our lives so that we don't live like we did before. That's the kind of church that people are going to take notice of. That's the kind of church that will see people's lives changed. That's the kind of church that will see signs and wonders. I'd like to have the worship team come on up.